Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. This is kind of a bonus edition of the Weekly Standard as we get the news that the House Majority Leader, Eric Cantor, has lost a Republican primary to a guy who's so not particularly well-known, no knows if his last name is pronounced Brat or Brat. Perhaps Bill Crystal can help us out. I can't, but it's an interesting and exciting night, i got to say. I, politics, it's always great, especially in this day and age of polling and scientific you know, studies and money usually prevailing, to just see a flat-out upset. Some guy who had much less money, much less name ID, uh, ran an incredibly vigorous campaign on a couple of key issues. And again, I'm not sure who I would have voted for, honestly, down there, but uh, it's just exciting and energizing to see this uh, guy come from behind to win. So why? Why did a sitting majority leader who spent, by some estimates, up to $5 million in total on his campaign lose to an unknown college professor who spent $150,000? Uh, one savvy politician, uh, political operator, just on the phone with, put it this way to me, <laughs> excuse me, he said um, the trouble with Farrah Cantor was that over time he had become the congressman from K Street or the congressman from Wall Street not the congressman from Virginia's 7th Congressional District. Uh, that may be unfair, but that was the perception down there, at least among about 55% of the voters. Um, and he seemed to want to uh, be liberal on immigration. He seemed to want to do what the big corporations wanted. Rat ran a really classic populist campaign. Uh, some of the anti-corporate rhetoric would have, you know, Elizabeth Warren wouldn't have gone so far. But I thought that was actually healthy. I mean, Cronin, I've always thought that for this to be a big year for Republicans, uh, Republicans have to be the party of Main Street and Middle America. Uh, they have to attack crony capitalism. I'm not sure everyone has to go quite as far as, as uh, Mr. Bratt went, but I think it does show the energy that there is in, in the grassroots, among the grassroots, for the anti-crony capitalism, anti-Wall Street, and Washington type message. You know, uh, polling a few weeks ago seemed to indicate that this race was pretty safe for uh, for Eric Cantor. And you look at what events of the last couple of weeks, what is it? I would say that this is uh, the race that Matt Drudge won by repeatedly putting up not just the news of this flood of immigrants who had heard that that amnesty was in the air and were telling border agents that down in Guatemala and Honduras, newspapers and TV stations were broadcasting that you could come with your small children. It wasn't just that, but he also pointedly put Eric Canner on the front page of the Drudge Report several times, linking him to amnesty. Was this fundamentally about immigration, what it means inside the Republican Party to be perceived as someone who's going to betray the base on that issue? I think a lot of it was about immigration. In a couple of ways. One was uh, Eric Cantor um, was very you know, proud of being for versions of the Dream Act and uh, helping helping the kids. It's not their fault, and of course there's some truth to all that. But there was something a little bit um, silly about that. And as as you say, the actual policy consequences were that a lot of parents dumped their kids across the border or encouraged their kids to walk across the border, and it's become an actual humanitarian crisis in the Southwest. So I think voters sort of looked up and thought, you know. It, Eric Cantor, whom I personally got along with and I respect in many ways, but still he was the type who was always trying to find a kind of a message that would you know, placate the liberal media a little bit and all that. And um, I think a lot of Republican primary voters got a little sick of that and then saw the actual real-world consequences of this kind of placating on the immigration issue. So I think a lot of it was immigration, but I think the immigration issue also stood in. And I think if you look at Bratt's rhetoric and his, uh, his ad and his mailers, this is really true. It stood in for a broader you know, uh, issue of who do you stand with? Who do you stand for? Who do you stand with? Do you stand with middle America and Main Street? 
do you stand with big corporations and Wall Street? Do you stand with K Street, or do you stand with the citizens of uh, uh, small town and suburban uh, Virginia? And, and and I think that really that really brought that home. This was a populist rebellion against uh, an establishment that's too close to big business and big government. And I hope if Republicans read it that way. I think, and they don't have to take every policy position that Brad has. They don't have to be uh, in any way, you know, they don't have to repudiate Eric Cantor. He, he just lost a primary. That that happens in life, you know. But he, um, they, they need, I think, to channel that, that ener- the energy of that populism. You know, uh, I used to run Republican campaigns for a living, and I worked often with the underfunded conservative candidate. That was kind of the guy I was, and we were always told by the other team oh you don't matter because you'll just take the candidate we give you in the end you conservatives will choke down the moderate squish chamber of commerce republican no matter what and i wonder if the tables haven't been turned a bit if the republican establishment isn't going to have to say look the these people because they have we have money but they have numbers we're going to have to start taking the candidates they give us and start looking for candidates who can bridge that gap because the gap isn't that big and if instead of fighting each other if instead of the you know McConnell versus Tea Party thing if the establishment will start looking for candidates who stand in that gap I think they can have the best of both worlds if they're smart enough to not fight and to concede they don't have the votes well I, I very much agree so if they're smart enough at least sometimes to, 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 to not try to destroy or defeat every challenger or every Tea Party uh, candidate and every Tea Party sentiment I mean I obviously there can be competitive primaries, and there continue to be competitive primaries, and that's fine. But I think what really galls a lot of Republican primary voters, a lot of grassroots types, is not just the sense that they lose sometimes or that people have different views, but that they're regarded as almost outsiders. How dare they intrude in this process? And when, when, when voters sense that from their own party's establishment, they will rebel against it. I think the key here is for the establishment, Republicans and donors and the whole party to understand they can channel this kind of populism. It doesn't take much, as you said. There's not a huge policy risk on most of these issues. They need to be more energetic and pushing an energetic populist reform conservatism. If they go after the export-import bank, if they go after Fannie and Freddie, if they go after the risk corridors in Obamacare for the insurance companies, go after the individual mandate, fix, go aggressively to fix the veterans, uh, hospitals. I mean, there's just a bunch of things they could do. A lot of them are perfectly, I think they're fine with the establishment types too. It's just the establishment types don't seem to push them very aggressively. And on some of these issues, the establishment types don't want to take on big business and big corporations that are donors to Republicans like the insurance companies. So I, I, if this gives, puts a little bit of a spark under the Republican leadership and energizes Republican candidates around the country and Republican members of Congress, I think this could be a very healthy thing. I actually felt tonight for the first time in a while that this might not just be a pretty good election. It could be a wave election for Republicans if they can channel this kind of uh, populist energy and enthusiasm. Well, obviously, it's very early. The election you know, just called just a few hours ago. But uh, I do know that some Democrats think this is great news. They perceive this as the Republican Party eating its own, uh, the Republican Party taking strong candidates out of the field and putting in weaker, quote, more extreme, close quote ones. Should Democrats and liberal Democrats in particular be happy now, Bill? I think not. Look, you could always, in any one case, of course, they could have a weaker Tea Party candidate defeat a stronger establishment candidate. That happened a couple of Senate races in 2010 and 2012. But on the whole, this, I think, suggests the possibility of a really energized Republican electorate that will find enough candidates to vote for in November and turn out to vote for candidates in November, feeling like the Republican Party is a populist, Main Street, Middle America party 
and not just holding their nose and voting for someone they don't like or maybe staying home. So I actually think, uh, I think the short term blush, you know, people, the first effect, the media, so the media interpretation will be, ooh, bad for Republicans. Uh, that might last for a couple of days. Some Republicans will believe it, but I strongly believe, especially if the Republican establishment handles this well, and that's an if. Uh, if they do, I think this ends up helping the Republicans a lot this November. Uh, one last question for you, uh, and this may seem like a bank shot, but I wonder if this is going to have implications in Mississippi. If the you know, the uh, Tea Partiers, having worked with them from the beginning, Bill, I will tell you they very modest expectations of what they can do in the political process. I mean, I think generally speaking, they're mostly stunned at the things they've won rather than expecting to win. And you know, this win is like you know parachuting in supplies behind the ball wall into West Berlin. They'll feed on this for weeks. Will this energize Tea Party voters in other close races, like for example, the uh, showdown is still ongoing? going in Mississippi. Yeah, I could. I think you could. And I, I think McDaniel already, you know, was favored to win the runoff in Mississippi. And this probably increases the chances a little bit. And again, I think a lot depends uh, if the establishment has won a lot, some of the showdowns this year, this is a big victory for the Tea Party. If the establishment is gracious and acknowledges that, hey, everyone's got a right to run in primaries and uh, people we prefer are going to win sometimes and the other guys are going to win sometimes, but let's unite and try to figure out how to get the best of both worlds, I think that will be a recipe for success. If the establishment's reaction to this is, oh my God, let's redouble our efforts for Thad Cochran in Mississippi and let's crush every populist sediment we ever see uh, anywhere in the Republican Party, the conservative movement, that would be foolish and that would ultimately be, that would backfire for the establishment types. I don't think they'll make that mistake though. And I, I as I say, I feel, I feel sort of energized, partly just because it's such an upset and such a, so it's just such an interesting development. But I think Republicans and conservatives will feel more energized tomorrow than they did earlier today. Bill Crystal, thanks for your almost instant analysis of this race for the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.